Welcome to a new episode of the Women in Tech SEO podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Marie Jabali, and I am the founder of Women in Tech SEO. Today's episode is all about helping large websites with their SEO website migrations. And I am joined with the brilliant Catherine Watier-Ong, who is the owner of Woe Strategies. Hey, Catherine. Hi, how are you? Yeah, I'm great, thanks. It's so good to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me on. This season is sponsored by Novus. Novus, the London-based e-commerce SEO agency, has won multiple awards for their SEO campaigns, including Best Global SEO Agency of the Year, two years running. Trusted by over 150 global e-commerce brands, including the likes of Bloom & Wild, Patch & Thread, Novus provides technical e-commerce SEO expertise with a creative edge by specialising across platforms like Shopify and Magento. They have been named as one of 2021's best workplaces in the UK and with a diverse, gender-balanced team, are a culture-first agency. Check them out on thisisnovos.com or follow on LinkedIn at thisisnovos. I think you host a podcast of your own, don't you? I do. Yeah, I have two. Actually, I decided to be an overachiever. I have a um, one that's an Alexa flash briefing. It's a daily SEO tips, though over the summer, it's been very not daily. Um, <laughs> and then I have another podcast called Digital Marketing Victories, where we talk about the soft skills you need to be successful as a digital marketer. Oh, I love that. I know that you shared a few of those episodes. And yeah, I absolutely love them. And how does it feel to be on the other side? Oh, I mean, it's great. I help clients with podcasts. And so it kind of made sense to do a podcast myself. Um, and then I used to do a lot of speaking at the Voice Summit. So again, it sort of made sense to have an Alexa flash briefing. So I know the ins and outs of how to do that work too. Yeah, awesome. Well, I'm really, really happy to have you here with us. You are a super, super active member of the Women in Tech SEO community. Um, and I would love everyone to know a little bit more about you and how you got into the world of SEO. Sure. Yeah. So I've been doing SEO for 17 years, though I've been marketing literally forever. I planned my first conference when I was 13 and launched a nonprofit when I was 16 and got press coverage and did events and, <laughs> you know, eventually a newsletter. Anyway, um, and for the last five years, I've been running a solo uh, organic traffic consultancy. So I focus on anything with a search function in it and help clients be found in an organic fashion. So that's Google, YouTube, uh, Bing, Facebook, that kind of thing. But those are the three big ones, Google, YouTube, and Bing. Um, yeah, so that that's me. I, I love SEO. I used to, um, actually, before I started my own consultancy, I ran the online marketing and analytics team at Ketchum, the big PR firm, yep. servicing their clients globally. So my first year there, it was just me. <laughs> <laughs> they'd never have anybody that did SEO or analytics. So they thought one was enough for all their clients globally. They have like 12 offices in China. Um, <laughs> so I taught 65 clients my first year um, and they were small. There's like Gazprom and ConAgra, <laughs> you know, this large. Anyway, eventually I, we had a team in nine. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. And how did it feel moving, you know, from such a big type of company and just starting your own thing? You know, I mean, I love the experience at Ketchum for sure, but also agency work can get, it can just burn you out. Um, and I joined Ketchum because I was following Tim Weinheimer, who was the head of digital strategy there. 
um, because I just wanted him to be my next boss. He actually met me when I was speaking at a AMA event in DC um, and we just clicked. And then I frankly stalked him trying to find a role underneath him so he could be my next boss. So anyway, he was my boss for five years, but then at the end, he moved to Austin with his husband and it was becoming clear he wouldn't continue to be my boss. And, you know, I didn't join Ketchum because of Ketchum. I joined Ketchum because of Tim. And I kept telling them, you get rid of Tim and I'm going. <laughs> so um, <laughs> he really provided a lot of great. I mean, he's where I got a lot of my soft skills from, frankly. And he provided a lot of great cover um, and allowed me to be disruptive because I needed to be. Um, but it was just, you know sort of my time to go. Also, when you're at a big agency, you often don't have a chance to pick your clients. I remember um, I was on a new biz pitch and it was just frankly for a client that was completely opposite of my ethics. And we are in the team, like we literally go out to this pitch and I was in the car with the team. The team's like, oh my God, I hope we win it. And I'm sitting there going like, I hope we don't because I don't have to work on it. Um, (laughs) And we didn't win it, thankfully. So I got close, but not quite to working on a client that I just thought was totally opposite of my ethics. So um, I have a lot more fun now because I can be selective and I can pick clients where I love their mission and I love the people I work with. Like my direct clients, I on purpose pick people that want to learn SEO. (laughs) And it's great because I love teaching my team. Everybody but two on my team at Ketchum came to me directly out of college with no background in digital marketing. And I trained them all. Um, on the pay, paid side, I was trained by somebody else on my team. But all the organic stuff and the analytics was me. And, you know, they're doing great things. One is a lot of them work at Google. One's the head of entertainment partnerships at Facebook and Instagram. One worked as the head of brand at Reddit. I mean, they're just one's at Twitter. I mean, they're just rock stars. <laughs> And I love teaching people about SEO. So I love that I get to do that through my clients now. I, I, I'm able to pick clients that they're it really internally. They just never really had SEO on their plate before. Now they do. And I particularly work with science organizations where I can't write their content because there's definitely some subject matter expertise there. Um, and so it makes sense for them to own the SEO internally, right? It doesn't make sense for an agency to take it over. How could you? <laughs> Especially with Google knowing whether or not you or, you know, an expert in your topic when you write. Right. Um, so anyway, yeah, I, I love what I do now and, and it provides great balance and I'm making as much as I made at Ketchum, but I'm working part-time. Oh, I love that. And I relate with what you're saying about, I had the same thing when I was agency side as well and decided to move on to client side because, you know, I, I didn't have the flexibility of saying yes or no to certain clients. And at least when I moved client side, I was able to say, okay, this is the exact brand that aligns with my values and I'm comfortable working with. So I, I love that you touched on that. I think a lot of people can definitely relate with that. Yeah. And I also still get the variety. So it's not just one thing that you're slogging on. Cause I was in-house too, before, before I went to catch him, I was in-house as like the director of internet marketing for a couple of nonprofits actually. Um, and so, you know, I did that there's pros and cons of both. I like what I'm doing now. I I have had experiences in my career where you're the expert when you're the consultant. And as soon as you become in-house, you're not the expert and people stop listening to you, which drives me crazy. And so I think it's a better fit for now for me to be on the expert side <laughs> than to be in-house where my expertise would magically disappear as soon as you cut my paycheck. Yeah. And, and what advice would you give for women who want to start out their own consultancy? Oh, yeah, I have very clear advice. (laughs) And I sort of did this. um, Well, so when I decided to pivot from traditional marketing 
to digital marketing. This is pretty early. This is when I started going to Georgetown. It's like an early 20s, early in my career. Um, I sort of did it with this long-term dream of being a digital nomad. I liked the idea of being able to work from wherever as long as there's an internet connection. Also, as a marketing person, you get laid off a lot. <laughs> you know, you don't stay anywhere very long. It's just like the nature of the beast with marketing. And after going through that a couple of times, I thought this is kind of crap. Like I want, you know, more consistency and revenue. I don't like the fact that, you know, lose a paycheck and then you've, you're earning nothing until you get that next job. So I started freelancing in between my jobs, mostly out of frankly need. I just needed the money. Um, and so for years, that's what I would do. And, and I would transit. Sometimes I'd moonlight on the side. Sometimes I'd freelance in between. And so by the time I got to catch him, I still had, I literally had clients and like referrals from clients. So that was one thing. Do it before you even take the leap. Um, because that way you've got some experience about how to pitch your work and how to put together a proposal and some other things. And if you do get a chance to work in an agency, I'd recommend it, especially if you're younger, because you learn a ton a ton about how to do proposals and price things and all that kind of stuff, which would be very useful to, for you if you go off on your own. But then the other thing I did at Ketchum, because I had to grow my team and because it is very time intensive to start with somebody fresh out of college with no background and train them up, I was desperate to see if I could find somebody mid-level that I could maybe steal from somewhere else. Um, so as a part of that and as background, um, PR companies don't invest a ton in training their employees because that's just not part of their model, which is heartbreaking as a digital marketer. Because you know, you learn so much from live events pre-COVID when you could attend them, right? Um, so I really wanted to make sure that the people on my team got that experience. Um, but I couldn't send them to show. There, was, there were no budgets to send them to shows. Only budgets for me, which was crazy. Um, and even for me, I had to fight. So what I did instead was I launched... Well, I didn't launch... I sort of took over a meetup <laughs> because the person that was running it was uh, moving on to real estate. So he was moving out of the digital marketing space. Um, but I did that for six years. And so I got a chance to do two things. One, the, because we hosted it, my young people got to sit there and listen to other people that were doing digital marketing and learn from other people. Uh, I also got to stack the event. So that way it was a variety of levels of information and I could even pick speakers that I thought maybe my team needed to learn more about or I frankly wanted to learn more about. And then three, I got to massively expand my network in the DC marketplace um, because you can just blindly do a LinkedIn request to a random person because you think they'd be a great speaker. And most of the time, people accept that. They Even if they're not free to speak, they're like, oh, okay. And then they're part of your network. So it helps build your network exponentially. Um, and so when I decided... When I left Ketchum, I actually was looking for full-time jobs and I realized it just wasn't going to work because every job I've had in my entire career has been an entrepreneur job. So brand new position, build something from scratch. It's, I'm good at it, but frankly exhausting and I didn't want to do it again. <laughs> um, and so I, I was beginning to realize that was the only thing that I was going to get interviews for or offers for and that freelancing might actually be easier. So running my own consultancy would be easier than that. Um, so I put a note out to my network, the same one that I ran these meetups with. And I said, okay, I'm going to do my own thing. And I got my first client in like two weeks. And of course, it would be a website in Saudi Arabia. And the client is hiring me from Dubai. And it's half in Arabic, which I don't read. <laughs> <laughs> and it was massive. 
because it was like this place to buy and sell new and used cars, which I had no, no background in cars, but whatever. Of course, that would be my first project. <laughs> uh, but yeah, from there. So basically, my network is what helped me kick off my consulting. And I still get referrals from that same network. Yeah, I think that's such good advice because it feels like you did all the legwork and you set everything up before you decided to make the jump. And that made things really, really helpful. Yeah, I mean, it was also kind of obvious that for because of my career, if you are looking for a full-time position, which is an entrepreneur position, right? Build your own thing, starting from scratch, whatever. It's actually hard to land those jobs anyway. The best way you land those jobs is via a referral. So you know somebody, you know, like people talk like, oh, I need somebody to build this new marketing program. Who would you recommend? And somebody goes, oh, Catherine, right? So even full-time jobs, I was sort of getting through my network more than just randomly applying off the internet. Um, and so that was the other reason I'd been building it for sort of two reasons. Like if I wanted a full-time job, that's how I'd get it. And then it turns out that getting clients that way is also the best way. <laughs> so, but yeah, that's what I would recommend. It, well, be, if you ha- even have, like I did an inkling, like I wasn't planning at all. I just had this twinkle in my eye, this dream, right. That I'd be this digital nomad. And if you've got that start now doing side freelancing and building your network. Yep. Love it. Such good advice. So today we want to talk about all things website migration. And I know I mentioned this to you before. I I just love the way you filled the pitch form because you specifically said you wanted to talk about large non-e-commerce sites and what kind of work you do with their website migration. So can you tell us a little bit about some recent projects and like what kind of websites you tend to work with most? Um, Yeah. So this is partially because a lot of the websites I worked at at Ketchum were also in the same sort of bucket. So part of the reason I got hired at Ketchum is as a consultant, I helped them write the digital strategy portion of this RFP that won them the entire business promoting electronic health records for health and human services for three years. So um, they won the business. And then I think they turned around and were like, oh, we have no idea what she wrote in this proposal. We're going to have to hire her. Um, So anyway, I built out the team and the strategy and the website with the help of obviously of our developers. But we built out healthit.gov and supported it. And that was a website this is the thing that drives me crazy. Everybody thinks that just because you have a .gov extension, you're going to rank well in Google. And it's just not the case. It's a brand new website. It goes through the same process as any other website where it gets suppressed for six months and you have to build links to it. <laughs> like it needs to have a, a presence on the internet and an online footprint and all the rest. Um, so so yeah, but there's no, no e-commerce there, but it was relatively big. And then from there, I moved on as a consultant with my own business, helping out cancer.gov. Okay, very similar. In fact, they had, well, similar, but sort of different. Fed sites like to um, populate a ton of subdomains. I'm not quite sure why. I think they thought it was a good strategy. Uh, Anyway, when I helped them, initially, they had 150 subdomains (laughs) by different departments on different CMS systems (laughs) and various stages of repair or disrepair. Um, but then even just the main cancer.gov site was huge, but no e-commerce. And I've since worked with the fisheries department of NOAA, which is also big. NOAA, actually, when I looked at them, they had something like the entire infrastructure of NOAA.gov has, was it 400 to 500 different subdomains oh, and wow. sub, sub, subdomains, which I've never seen before. Oh, I didn't wow. even know you could do them. <laughs> Turns out you can. <laughs> 
again, not a strategy I would recommend, but um, there you go. Um, so anyway, it helps both of, well, all of those federal websites build out internal infrastructure too. So um, cancer.gov, for instance, when they brought me on board, they were like, hey, we've lost Google traffic. We can't figure out why. And mind you, it was partially because Google rolled out those symptom panels. So all that basic information about symptoms of cancer was now in Google search, right? Instead of a click through to a website. Yeah. Um, so part of it was that. But the other part, which I noted right off the bat because I'm snarky that way. I was like, all right, so you have like 11% of your traffic that's from social media and you have a team of, you know, two people internally, an entire outside consultancy helping you. And you have 80% of your traffic coming from organic search and you have nobody managing SEO. Perhaps Ouch. you might want somebody <laughs> managing SEO. Just saying. So um, I helped them actually find their first SEO. Yay, my network. Um, and she worked there for like three uh, three years or so and now it's moved on. But so they had, um, I think, one and a half SEOs. And then at Fishery, similar, they assigned me people that had more of an inkling on SEO. And so this same idea, like, let's get some infrastructure internally um, because a lot of this stuff, you're going to have to interact with your writers, right? Because it's expert writing that I can't help you with. It needs to be written by your scientists. So you need somebody internally to help manage some of that. Um, and then somewhere along the way, I started working with associations and their academic journals. <laughs> Not quite sure how, but also big websites, really, really big websites. Um, and similar where they, they have an online publishing manager type role that needs to know quite a bit about SEO. They have a huge technical problem because it's great expert content, but man, that technical can get in the way where mm -hmm. it won't rank in Google because they have crawl issues. Um, so the first one I worked on, it had a, well, first of all, I had seven different subdomains. I think I'll total up maybe about 2 million URLs or so. Um, and they've just collapsed it into one, which is why I know it's about 2 million URLs. But um, their initial crawl issue, uh, I was actually, it took me a while to troubleshoot. But it turns out they had a relative link that was triggering, not triggering a 404, and instead kept adding folders. <laughs> and so Exactly. Exactly. It was this epic crawl trap where just like the bot could not get past it because I was like, why is this journal not performing better than it should? So anyway, uh, even though the developers were, it was hard to get tickets through us. It just pushed this one. So we pushed the one and within about a month, they got a thousand more keywords ranking page one on Google. Oh, wow. Yeah. Not, we didn't change anything else. <laughs> we just yeah. made the crawling easier, you know? So the most recent site that I helped with their migration, they had 18 different subdomains, so 18 different journals, and they collapsed it into one. And they have about 1.3 million URLs, but a backlink profile of 30 million, 35. Yeah. So I spent all summer looking at spreadsheets with URL mapping. <laughs> Yeah. But I, I mean, love SEO, but that might be the part I like the least. <laughs> that specific example you gave, I mean, if that's not a case study, then I don't know what is. And doesn't that just give them, you know, that trust of, okay, we did this one thing and this is what it resulted into. We're probably going to listen to all the rest of the recommendations that are going to come through then. Yeah. So the irony is, is that that, so in the journal space, you only have like 12 vendors to pick from because you have to be on a platform that's part of the Google Scholar network, et cetera, et cetera. So unfortunately, your options are kind of picking from the 12 and hopefully there's one that's better than the others. So the one they were on was kind of, frankly, 
you know, frankly, the developer was abusive to their clients. I was really floored because that's just not how I have ever approached clients. Um, but I was on calls with the client plus the developer staff plus me, and they were just, yeah, just abusive. Yeah. <laughs> um, so absolutely would refuse to do a lot of these tickets. And I had this huge argument with them about the importance of 301 redirects. And he absolutely thought 301 redirects were not important and that I had some crazy SEO strategy that was not based on any science. Oh my God. <laughs> so what's funny is, so the client kept me dumped the platform. That's why they moved. <laughs> and then the client introduced me to another journal who was dumping the platform and moving. And now they've introduced me to a third journal that's dumping the platform and moving. So in all of these instances, that one fix <laughs> really helped a lot because now word is getting out that First of all, that one platform might not be ideal and that, you know, I can help you on other platforms that are more open to changes. Yeah. And I mean, with what we're talking about, you know, millions and millions of pages, like what are some of your trusted tools when it comes to these types of migration and consolidation work that you tend to always rely on? Yeah, it really changed. So when I was doing work with NCI, uh, cancer.gov, uh, sorry, cancer.gov or healthcare.gov, because they were say like half a million pages, right? Um, deep crawl was great. I love deep crawl. But when you start getting up to this size, <laughs> deep crawl subscription model just really is not uh, cost effective. And so what I actually needed to do was move to crawling on the cloud. So I'm using Screaming Frog and I've got Google Cloud instances. I actually had five of them so I could crawl more effectively at five different IPs that were whitelisted. Um, and we're actually for the real big client doing a lot of work in BigQuery because of the size of the data. I have a Google Analytics consultant I work with because I just can't do it all. Um, and so she's been helping me port a lot of stuff into BigQuery and then surface it in Google Data Studio. Yeah, I, that makes sense. I can't even imagine, yeah, like trying to do it any other way, especially when you're dealing with that kind of scale. Yeah. And it, the one thing that I wish we had done in the beginning, but this was my first project at this size, so I just didn't know. Um, and I've never mapped redirects at this size, so I learned a lot. Um, but one of the things I wish I'd done early on is that, you know, you export all these backlinks from all these disparate sources, right? And you combine them all to try to figure out what the patterns are. But that's a lot of sheets, a lot of crazy sheets everywhere, especially with 18 different subdomains that you have to export individually. And then you hit up against limits and SEMrush and Ahrefs. You're being creative about how you're getting backlink data out of all those tools. Um, the one thing that my GA consultant did kind of near the end was just create a report in Google Data Studio where it combined it all, combined in this glorious. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was able to export it all into Excel and dedupe. And I was like, oh, my Lord, I should have done mm -hmm. this from the beginning. Yeah. Such a big deal. Yeah. Because there's so much duplication, isn't it? Like, of oh, course, yeah. Yeah. If you're using, I don't know, four or five different data sources, because what you want to do is what you, you want to get as much of the quantity of these backlinks as you possibly can. So yeah, oh, that's, uh, it's, it's really good that you've got people you're working alongside with who can kind of support some of that stuff. Oh, it's amazing. Cause I just can't stay an expert on all of it. And I, you know, I used to do Google analytics. I can still eyeball whether or not a GA account's messy for sure. Um, but you know, I used to do the implementation and just all the rest. And I don't know, it's not the thing I'm most passionate about and it's just easier to find somebody who can help me. And I'm just very lucky that I have a consultant who I just really work really well with. My yeah. big thing for this year is actually finding a backup of all of my consultants who I love. So in case they happen to be busy, I've got a backup. 
And what metrics do you make sure that you always benchmark and report on when it comes to migrations? Oh, yeah. See, this one was gnarly because it didn't go as planned. Basically, the platform couldn't. Oh, first of all, I don't think they've ever had anybody test the redirects during a migration period. So the fact I was they they would say we're done. They're great. And I would test them and be like, no, they're not. Half of them are failing. Rinse and repeat for months. <laughs> so by the time we launched, they didn't get them fixed. So that was bumpy. And then there was a DNS switch problem that lasted for days that was really bumpy. So ideally, we would be looking at things like uh, low number of 404s, no redirect errors in Google Search Console, regaining our rankings, regaining those top landing pages, getting back into position, regaining the traffic. Um, we're just not there yet. So we're looking at all that stuff. We're just just not there yet. Yeah, but yeah, and that stuff happens, right? But how do you, how are you able to like set these expectations when you know things go gnarly or fluctuations happen or things don't go according to plan? How can you set these expectations beforehand with your clients? So um, I definitely set the expectations with all of these clients because unfortunately they're going about a migration in the way that Google absolutely does not recommend. So Google doesn't re recommend doing the entire site at once. Google doesn't recommend doing a migration where you change URLs, plus you change the design, plus you change the URL, right? Don't do all that at once. And all these clients did all of them at once. One of the other ones also did an HTTP to HTTPS transition incorrectly <laughs> prior to oh, them so doing cool. the rest. <laughs> Right. And so like I have, yeah, just, but, but they don't know how to test redirects again. So they think it's fine. The developers say they're fine. And the developers, I mean, it was quaint really. So partway through, um, my client recommended to the developers, just go get Screaming Frog. Cause you, you and I know it's not that expensive. Come on, just go get it. So the developers tried, but then try to launch a, this website that's, you know, millions of pages and try to do it with their own desktop machine. And by the way, it's 1.2 million valid indexable pages but the entire crawl because of the garbage that i have to block is more like seven million <laughs> somewhere between six and seven million it's a lot of stuff to crawl through and this cute little developer was trying to do it on their machine and my client and i were like oh, we both do this in the cloud because <laughs> your machine's gonna like start smoking or something and never finish I think this is such a good point, actually, because I've seen a lot of like SEOs who talk about, well, if you create this amazing checklist that the developer can go through at staging environment to check themselves, then that's great. But, you know, in reality, that doesn't actually work that way because we might be able to do some of these checks and processes using your example on the cloud, but the developer wouldn't be able to do that. Have you ever found that there's some form of checklist that you can kind of collaborate on together? Or do you think actually that's quite difficult and it won't result in too much? You know, I had a checklist and that's what we were all looking at, but I don't think it mattered. I mean, the bigger problem, I mean, there were a couple of problems in retrospect, but one of the big problems is that uh, I just never thought to ask them <laughs> whether or not they had a QA process and what it looked like and whether or not they had Screaming Frog and et cetera, et cetera. Like, I just, I don't know, just never, I was so busy with my own list of stuff to do. I just never thought about it. And so, you know, that's one of the, th I'm just like, really? Like if you're going to say you can execute redirects, particularly that one, if one part of your business is migrations and you say you can execute redirects, why is it the client's responsibility to QA those redirects? Screaming Frog is what? A hundred US dollars a month or something? I mean, a it's year. not that expensive. A year, right? A year. Right. Yeah. A year. Right. Yeah, a year. <laughs> so it's not that expensive, right? 
Yeah. They could. I could give them the settings. The checking redirects and screaming frog is not complicated. Once you get the settings set up, you know, it's a four-step process or something, right? It's just not complicated. But if it's not part of their QA process, then you get to do what I did all summer, which is QA redirects for a thousand patterns and three or four samples per main pattern and whatever. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think that's actually something we don't tend to talk about a lot, which is not just the QAing part, but also the product management bit. You know, that we that's a hat that we have to wear because even if we're working directly with product folks, they don't tend to do it on our behalf. Right. Well, in this instance, they wanted to keep, which I kind of get because I'm not inexpensive as an SEO because I've been doing it for so long. And so I think they wanted to keep my hours down. Mm. Also, at the early, on the the onset, I was really uh, transparent about the fact that relationships between SEOs and developers can get contentious because my role is to point out mistakes, (laughs) mistakes or errors and things they wouldn't even know are errors because they're not following Google's regulations. But like, you know, or guidance. But the the whole idea is for me to say, this is not ideal. It needs to be this way based on Google's instructions, et cetera, which could set up a contentious relationship. And so I think they decided to keep me more in the background on purpose. Also, my I trained this client, a technical SEO, which by the way, if you're going to do a migration of this size, highly recommend you do. <laughs> it was a much more successful client relationship than other ones. So she went through two days of training with me on technical SEO. But what's amazing is she gets why I'm talking about all of the things I'm obsessing about. It's fabulous. And so I think she thought that she could be the advocate directly with the developers. And I think it's mostly been successful, but my hours would have been a lot higher if I was on every single sprint call, right? Yeah. And and I, I don't know, maybe it would have been better if I was at the beginning, but on the other hand, she's done a good job most of the time advocating for the things she needs to because she's well-educated now. I mean, that point on education and advocating and raising awareness, that's a really important point. And I think a lot of consultants and strategists, not just consultants, actually, even agencies, don't think about this idea of, you know, they charge for a one-off project and they, you know, they get cracking and they look at what the project is, but they never think, oh, actually, we need to make sure that at the start, you know, we do some form of education around why or why not some of this stuff needs to be prioritized and looked at. So that's a, yeah, that's a really, really good point that you've raised there. Well, also, I like, to, because I like to enhance other people's professional development, it's like a piece of my DNA. Because of that, I have these weird client relationships. I'm not like a traditional agency. I actually want people, somebody, I was meeting with a friend of mine, and he's like, oh, you're like the digital marketing training wheels. I'm like, sort of. Like, I really want people to either start throwing tougher questions at me or don't need me at all because they can handle it on their own and I'll find somebody else to train. I don't know, because I love just training so much. So that's part of the reason why I put this this client through training because she also, she's at the end of the day, managing a website that has 7 million things to crawl through and 1.2 million pages and a backlink profile that's huge. So she just needs to know technical SEO if she wants to be successful. Yeah. And do you have any resources that you can recommend, you know, for SEOs who are starting to dive into these, you know, large scale type of website migrations? Oh, gosh, that is a good question. Do you feel a lot of it was just from experience of working on several of them? Well, yes, part of it is experience. Part of it was I follow a lot of the deep crawl educational stuff. I I have attended virtually the Tech SEO, what's it called? The one in Boston. Tech SEO Boost. That one. Yeah. Yes. Not that I understand everything, but yeah, I have been, really you know, good. 
Yeah, I'm a I'm a huge fan of Mike King. I I you know went to his workshop at a live conference once, which I thought was super helpful. And every time he's speaking, I'm basically in the audience attempting to scribble as fast as possible to take yep. notes. <laughs> uh, and again, some of it goes over my head, but I feel like a lot of it just if you get exposed to it multiple times, at some point it might click. The other thing is that you'll never it'll never fully click until you get to do it. And the only way you're going to be able to get to do it is by taking the leap. <laughs> so when I was introduced to the site at this size, I went, okay, well, this is different because obviously I was working on sites that other people said were big, right? Because it's 400,000 pages, half a million, that kind of size site. Um, but there's a big difference between that and the size of the site I'm working on now. Um, and I thought, well, I'm just never going to be able to be confident that I can do it until I take the leap and do it, frankly. And the... The, te- the Women in Tech SEO group is part of the reason why I felt confident to do it. I've met plenty of women there that have worked on even bigger sites. This, the group is so supportive. I've had people in that group literally say, I'm free now. Let's hop on a phone and we'll help you troubleshoot. Oh, I love that. Oh, it's like it makes me cry. Like, because I've been in SEO for 17. I've never had that help. <laughs> I've been yeah. in-house solo, uh, you know, with a bunch of different organizations in-house solo at the agency never had help. I mean, you would try, you'd be in the other Slack groups and the men would be snarky. Like one time I literally asked a question about a federal website and the guy said, why are you doing SEO and federal? That's like a waste of our tax dollars. And I was like, no, it's not. (laughs) The stuff on this fed site is not getting found automatically. They compete with other websites. Like when I talked to NCI, I literally, we did an analysis of the breast cancer space and I had to tell them you are never going to rank because the other websites like WebMD, Medical News, Medical News Today has 120 SEOs or 120 people with SEO in their job title. I'm like, you are never going to outrank them. They have been on the internet longer. They've been doing SEO longer. They have more staff. You should instead pivot to these cancers that aren't as popular where you're going to get a chance to rank, but they, they compete just like every other website. And so I feel like it's better for our federal dollars to have an SEO on board versus a crawl error where half of it can't be found. Or even worse, when I worked on healthit.gov, I was literally on the team and they had this dashboard thing where they were talking about the success of the program, right? And they know who I am. I've been working with them for three years. They go off and they find a different vendor and they come to me and they say, can you put analytics on it? And can you SEO it at the end, of course? And I turned to them and I said, no, it's Flash. Ooh. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> it's just like what? I'm just saying the feds can really mess up if they want to from a getting on Google perspective. But yeah, so I mean that's the kind of attitude I would get from frankly dudes on some of the other online groups. And so this community, you know, I was like I can do this cuz the spots where I don't know what I'm doing, I bet there's somebody else in the group that can probably help me get over that bump and it's been true. It's been amazing. And and vice versa, like Catherine honestly, I see you jump in all the time and like answer lots of people's questions and support and help out. So yeah, it's it's all about giving and taking. Oh, I try to do it literally daily because the few times that folks have saved me, they've really saved me. <laughs> and so I'm like, you know, I, I scour every day. I'm like, what question can I help out with? Because I get such help back from the group. Oh, I love that. So how can how can people stay in touch with you? What's the best way to connect with you? Um, so I've got a website, wostrategies.com. So you can um, check out my SEO tips there if you want. I'm also on LinkedIn and Twitter. So my Twitter handle is my maiden name. So it's K-W-A-T-I-E-R. Um, 
and I have a tiny little YouTube channel. You can also check out uh, digitalmarketingvictories.com, the other podcast where we talk about the soft skills. Awesome. Yeah, I'll make sure that I add all of those to the show notes. But thank you so much, Catherine. This was it was super fun as well. I, I feel I kind of forgot that we were recording a podcast and I wanted to listen to all of your stories. <laughs> you should join some of the social chats where I tell you a couple of the other interesting uh, experiences I've had that might not be good for public consumption on oh, a podcast. I'm, I'm going to make sure I do that. <laughs> yeah, we should. We'll, we'll, we'll do a one to one together. We definitely right. need to do that. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Catherine. And thanks everyone for joining us. Um, we uh, have a new episode that comes out every Tuesday, um, hosted either by myself or by Sarah McDowell. Uh, so please do tune in. You can find all of our episodes on women in tech SEO forward slash podcast um, and share your feedback with us. Let us know what you think. Um, and yeah, thanks so much for tuning in. And huge thanks, Catherine, for coming on the show today. Oh, thanks for having me on. It was a blast. Thanks all. So.